Hey everybody, Dave Hagen here. What we talk about on the podcast is timeless, and I'm going to prove it to you. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TFWP. You don't know what that is? That's the Financial Wellness Podcast. We're coming to you from beautiful downtown Van Nuys. With me today, as always, Mr. Brian Reed. Good morning, David. Always good to be here. So, Brian, I'm going through a cabinet uh, at the office, and I found an old CD, and I think the CD might have originally even been on cassette. You remember those? Hard to believe, right? It was almost 25 years ago, and I had put together a presentation called How to Prosper, and I listened to it, and it occurred to me that way back then, 25 years ago, I was talking about the same basic message that we talk about on TFWP, and that's no debt, spend less than you make, and spend the difference according to a prescribed plan, whether it's retirement savings, et cetera. And our thinking, my thinking has evolved over time, but I got a real kick out of this because it's a little piece of history. I mean, my voice is a little different, and some of the statistics are a bit dated, but the basic message was still there. And I thought, wow, that'd be interesting to listen to and share it with uh, the listeners of TFWP this week. So it's a little preachy, but you know, I was, I was pretty <laughs> excited about putting this uh, presentation together and this, this new medium of, of producing audio type of presentations that would eventually perhaps get onto this uh, other thing called a CD. So this is kind of like looking through a porthole into the past, but let's uh, check it out. Hi, I'm David Hagen, and I want to help you be prosperous, really prosperous. I don't have anything to sell you, and I don't necessarily want to change your career, but I do want to change the way you think about your money so that it works for you instead of you working for your money. Now, after consulting with thousands and thousands of people, I've seen five or ten things that cause most people to get into trouble and have to file bankruptcy why people get into financial trouble and file bankruptcy is interesting but for most of us who are doing okay financially it's not really that important but it occurred to us that if we could turn these five or ten things around and create tips on how to avoid financial trouble and be strong everybody would be interested and could benefit so we came up with these ten simple tips we call them Dave's top ten if you will They're not nearly as funny as the Dave's Top 10 on television, but they're a lot more powerful and useful. I can promise you that they will change the way that you think about your money and will make you much stronger financially in the future. So let's just get to them. The first tip is do not accumulate debt on high interest credit cards. Now that may seem obvious, but it is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. In fact, I would imagine if we were to pass a law that prohibited credit card solicitations, 
the bankruptcy rate in this country would be cut in half. That's how serious of a problem this really is. Think about it. How many of your credit cards did you really apply for? If you're typical, I'll bet very few. We have most of our credit cards because we got a solicitation in the mail. I don't know about you, but I get at least one solicitation every day in the mail. Now the default rate on these credit cards is an all-time high. In fact, in November of 1995, consumer debt in this country surpassed $1 trillion for the first time in history. Well, what is this debt? Well, it's mostly credit cards, junk debt. If you have any balances on your credit cards, think of what you got for that money. Dinners, plane tickets, stuff, just stuff. Stuff that doesn't appreciate in value. Stuff that's over and done with. Stuff that's gone. It's junk debt. Basically, a credit card is a 21% loan. Now, why would we buy stuff at 21%? Why would we knowingly borrow money at 21%? In fact, I had four credit cards that I used to leave at home. They each had a $5,000 balance. I kept them in my socks drawer at home. Now, one day my wife was going through my socks drawer and she saw these credit cards. Now, you would think that she found drugs. Now, you know, she's a CPA and she really keeps me in line financially. And she says to me, well, what are these? She throws them out on the table. And I said, well, you know, in, in case we ever need to borrow $20,000, we've got some quick money. We've got some financial backup. Now, being the CPA that she is, she asked me, she says, when would we ever borrow money or be hard up enough to borrow money knowingly at 21%? And you know I had to think about that. And she was right. And I sent the cards back. Now the credit card companies had a fit. They called me up and they said, you know, you had such a good account, we'd like to keep you. We'll waive the membership fee. We'll lower the interest rate. And I'll tell you how to do that in just a minute. Well, they did all of these things. And I said, you know what? I really just don't need them. Then they said, well, we'll increase your credit limit. And I said, that's the problem. I don't need any more of this. This is one example of not needing those credit cards. I sent them all back. Another example, and these are true stories, by the way. I had a credit card company send me a solicitation that said that they'd give me a credit card with a $10,000 limit at 7%. Actually, it was a pretty good deal. So I said, all right, all right, send me out the card. So they sent me out the card and I put it in that same secret little socks drawer. Almost a year later, I got a telephone call. It was a college kid calling on behalf of the credit card company. He said he just wanted to confirm receipt of the cards. And I thought for a minute and I said, gee, I haven't gotten any credit cards lately. And then he says, well, it's the da-da-da card. And I said, well, gee, uh, I got that almost a year ago and it's been sitting in a drawer. And I said, What's the real reason for this call then? Well, now the kid says, you're not using the card. And I had to tell him, I said, well, you know, that's the whole idea. I don't want to be using it. I'm using that as a backup card. And then he says, did you know that we're running a special deal right now where you can get a cash advance up to $10,000 at a low interest rate? In fact, 
we'll send you out the checks and you can have the money next week. Now it took him two minutes to hook me. I'm thinking, I can paint the house, I can put in the new redwood deck, maybe even get that new stereo. I mean, I had those checks used up to a full $10,000 in two minutes. And mind you, I see my role in society as telling people, hey, be careful, don't run up these kind of debts. And it took a college student two minutes to take me down that path. Now, if it took him two minutes to get me going down that path, how must it be for anyone else? Remember, all day long, I help people get out of these kind of problems. I should know better. Well, so finally I shook myself and I said, you know, I don't want it. In fact, cancel the card. I don't want to pay the membership fee every year. Well, now he had a real fit because he thought he had a sale and then it turned around to a total defeat for him. So he says, you know what, we'll waive the membership fee. And I said to him, well, you know, I kind of expected you to do that anyway. In fact, I hear there's a lot of cards out there that don't charge a yearly membership anyway. So then he says, well, we can get you a better interest rate. We'll get you on the line here with a credit counselor right away. Hold on, I'll get someone on the line, and we'll get you a better interest rate. And at that point, I said to him, you know, I just don't need the card, and now that you brought it up, I'm sending it back. I guess I didn't make his day. But the point of the story is, if they can hook me, it's got to be a little easier at least to hook anyone. The point that I'm trying to make is that these cards are very, very dangerous. It's only our human nature to use them. In fact, I saw a credit card advertisement several months ago. It said, the blah, blah, blah card, it's smart money. I thought about that for a minute. Maybe it's prestigious, maybe it's convenient, maybe it's a lot of other things, but it's anything but smart money. In fact, it's dumb money. It's really dumb money when you think about it. Now, even worse than that, how about these places where you go where you don't have to pay for a year? I'll tell you about this because I almost did it myself. There was a place that was selling big screen televisions and you didn't have to pay for a year. In fact, I saw some places where you didn't have to pay for 14 or 15 or 16 months. Have you seen those ads? But what about after you've been looking at that television for a year and then you've got to go pay for it? And what they don't tell you many times is that if you don't pay it off within that one year, then all the interest charges for the last year come back and you've got to pay them. Now that's not a very good deal. You know, I did that with our washer and dryer. We didn't pay for it for 90 days. And I'm telling you, when the lint trap was full and there was clothes stacked on the top of the washer and the dryer, I had a hard time paying full price for the things. It would have been much easier to write the check when we bought it when they were all clean and gleaming and had just been installed. I mean, it's a real difficult spot to get into. Don't fall into these traps if you can help it. Although. I'm still tempted by that big screen TV. I trust that my wife will keep me from doing that. Now here's a tip. I'm going to save you some money right now. Go ahead and call your credit card company. Right now, go ahead and do it. Most of them will waive the annual membership fee on the first phone call. Now I've told some of the people in my office about that and they thought, oh yeah, right. But they went home and did it and got the membership fee waived on the first call. 
Now why pay that membership fee if you can get it waived with just one phone call? Some membership fees are $20-$25. I've seen them up to $50-$55. If you have multiple credit cards in your pocket, and I hope that you don't, or I hope that you're not going to after listening to this, but if you do, I could save you multiples of that just by making the phone call. In fact, if you have a good credit history, they'll put you on the line with the credit counselor, and many times they'll reduce your interest rate. Why knowingly pay 21%? I've even seen some credit cards that had higher interest rates than that. Why would we knowingly do this? And unless you call, they'll continue to charge you. But if you call, many times you can get it reduced. That's how competitive this particular market has become. Now, if they weren't making money, they wouldn't be falling all over each other to do business. I mean, how many commercials do we see on the television? You know, for all of the credit cards. This is very, very lucrative and competitive business for the banks. So don't feel bad about not paying the membership fee. Get the best deal that you can. Now, I want to show you that I pretty much live by example. And I want to tell you what credit cards I keep in my wallet. I used to have this big stack, you know, in my wallet, and it made me look like I had this big butt. So now I've actually looked like I've lost weight because I don't have all these credit cards. I've got one credit card that I use for all of my personal expenses. Now I'm not saying that this is the greatest credit card in the world, but I checked around a little bit and found one that was pretty good. And I got a pretty good interest rate. Probably not the best, but pretty good. Now I put everything on this. Gasoline at the station, food at the market, entertainment, meals, stuff that I order from catalogs, just about anything that I need to spend money on, I can put on this credit card. Now it has a couple of thousand dollars limit. Why that amount? Well, because I'm a spending kind of guy and I don't need the temptation. So I put everything on there and at the end of the month, I know exactly what I've spent. Of course, it also allows my spouse to see what I've spent and what I've been up to, but that's a whole nother issue. The second credit card that I carry, and I only carry two in my wallet, is my favorite. It's my business credit card. And it's my favorite because my partner gets to pay half. On this credit card, I put business lunches and software and hardware and other things that we need for the office. Business expenses. It's a good way to keep these two types of expenses separate. Business from personal. Now this card only needs a thousand dollar limit because Larry doesn't want me eating too much lunch or buying too much stuff at the software store. So you see, I don't carry gas credit cards and I don't have to carry credit cards from the stores. Most of these places will take the major cards, and by that I mean the Visa and the MasterCard and the Discover, anyway. So I really don't need it. I don't need it to be more complicated than this. My wallet doesn't need to be any thicker than this. And when I get that bill every month, and usually it's a whopper, I pay it off. My wife does the same thing. And we take the information from that statement and put it right into our Quicken program so that we can track what we're doing on a monthly basis. So I hope that if you take anything away from this tape today, you'll go through your wallet and throw out some of the cards that you don't need. You really don't need that many cards. 
All right, enough about the credit cards, because I could talk for a full hour about credit cards. Tip number two, know your flow. That is, on a monthly basis, know and understand every month what comes in and what goes out. Usually when the cash flow runs out at the end of the month, we stop spending and it's a natural curb. The problem with the credit cards is, now I'm getting back to talking about credit cards again, but the problem with the credit cards is that we start charging and we don't feel like we've used up our cash for that month. It takes away that natural restriction on our spending habits. And that's another reason why these cards are so potentially dangerous. But every month you should know what's coming in and what's going out. A lot of people that I've seen over the years have been chronically negative cash flow sometimes for many, many years. All of a sudden it builds up and they've got 30 or 40 or $50,000 on their credit cards and they're financially terminal at that point. There's nothing that they could do to repay that debt. The interest is running away from them too quickly. Many times the only answer is bankruptcy. Now, there's a lot of easy ways to avoid this. You can simply look at your checkbook register every month. You can put together a ledger. You can use those computer programs like Quicken, Money Counts, Money, or any of the other really good products that are out there. You know, there's a reason why Bill Gates wanted to pay so many billions of dollars for Quicken, right? It's because it's a product that everybody needs and can use. But if you understand what's coming in and going out, then if you're spending too much, you can look for ways to restrict that spending or look for ways to increase the income to keep yourself from getting in that chronic negative cash flow situation. Tip number three, don't spend too much on housing. We recommend, and most experts recommend, that you don't spend more than a third of your take home, that's net, pay on housing. Now that's tough to do in Southern California, but it's a good rule of thumb. It's a good goal. It's something that we should all shoot to obtain. We see people spending 50, 60, sometimes 70% of their take-home pay on their mortgage. And when you've been doing that for a period of time, you don't feel like you're working for yourself anymore. You feel like you're working for the bank. So a good rule of thumb is $1 out of three for housing, and that's all. Tip number four, don't spend too much on transportation. Again, this is hard to do in California. If we're going to go out and do battle on the freeways, you need a pretty good car. In fact, we need a really good car because you never want to break down. Because if you break down, you need a credit card to get a tow. But I don't want to talk about the credit card things anymore. So the rule of thumb is 20% of your take-home pay on transportation. Now, that 20% includes your car payment gasoline, repairs, and insurance. Now I know it's tough to do, but again, it's a goal. We see people with five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar car payments, and I wonder why. What's the point? I know it's important to have good transportation, but after the car is reliable, what's the point unless you really have money to burn? So it's important that you keep your transportation expense in good proportion with the rest of your income and expenses. Tip number five, keep your overhead low. It seems like in the 80s the theme was make and spend, make and spend. 
we were all making a lot of money and spending a lot of money. And now that the 80s are over, it seems like the 90s are the 80s hangover, which is people are saying, gee, I'm not making as much and I don't want to be spending as much. Or I certainly don't want to be working in the 90s like I was working in the 80s. So if you keep your overhead low, you don't have to work that much harder. In fact, you can work even a little less. It simply makes sense. Now by this I mean keep your housing in reasonable proportion to the rest of your income. Same thing with transportation. Stay away from financing refrigerators and those kinds of things unless you absolutely have to. It's not that the credit cards are the evil of all time. It's just that we have a propensity to get ourselves into trouble and to let them take advantage of this. I'm not saying that they're evil incarnate. All I'm saying is be careful. Try and stay away from these kinds of things. That way, if you have a disruption in your cash flow or your income, for whatever reason, for a medical reason, or you're between jobs, or something happens in your business where the money doesn't come in like it did, you, have, you don't have this incredible overhead just marching away from you. We see some cases where people are financially terminal in 90 days. It doesn't take long because those payments start to add up and the minimum monthlies double and triple and they don't let up. And after a very short period of time, they're financially terminal. And most of these places won't work with you too much. So the rule is keep all of your overhead low to the extent that you can. Tip number six, create two types of savings. Now the first type of savings should be six months of your personal overhead. And I call that drop dead money. Now some people might have another term for that, but that's what we call it. Basically that is, if the people that you work with or your employer or one of your customers ask you to do something that you think is unethical or illegal or immoral, you can say, drop dead. I don't need this job to pay for my expenses next month. It allows us a lot more flexibility in our business affairs. So if you've got six months of income or six months of expenses put away in a CD, in a savings account, something with very low risk so that it can never go away, you always have the ability to walk away from whatever you're doing if it's not a situation which is right for you. Otherwise, it's real easy to get caught up in this kind of stuff. So the first part of this tip is create some drop dead money, six months of overhead. The second part of this rule is create some kind of long-term savings plan. You know, they tell me that by the time I'm ready to retire, there may not be any money to pay me that monthly social security check. So I think that we need to start thinking about relying upon ourselves and then whatever the government does, the government does. If you put away $200 a week for 10 years at 10%, it's going to yield a lot of money. And that's pretty darn nice. Now, a lot of us aren't going to be able to put away $200 a week, but we can put away $200 a month and not miss it too much and we can probably get more than 10% interest on the average over a period of years. We might average 10 or 13%, 10 or 12%. A lot of us have more than 10 years of work ahead of us. So there are a lot of variables in this equation. But the point is, start something. 
because in the long term it turns into a really powerful amount of money. Now there are certain types of funds that you can collect this money so that it'll be more protectable and more powerful. The best place that you can put this kind of money is in a plan or a retirement plan that's set up under the ERISA laws. Basically I'm talking about your traditional retirement accounts and 401k plans. The Supreme Court said a few years ago that no matter how much you have in these types of retirement vehicles, and if your finances get out of control, you get to keep the money. So in theory, if you had a million bucks in your 401k plan and you were getting ready to retire and something crazy happened where you got sued or you got into some credit card problems, you could always file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and keep all of the money in that retirement plan. In fact, Congress was so serious about encouraging us to save this money when they put the laws together, they said that the only creditor that can get into that plan is the IRS. So if you pay your taxes and you save your money in these types of retirement vehicles, the money is protected, guaranteed. The Supreme Court said so. The next best type of retirement vehicle is an IRA. IRA monies are protectable to the extent that a court would deem them reasonable and necessary in your retirement. Now that's kind of a hazy guideline and it's not as good as the protection that Congress gave us with the 401k plans. Because remember I said 401ks are totally, totally protected. But the protection on the IRA is still pretty good protection to have. In fact, there are a lot of people that leave big companies and they take their 401 money with them and they roll it into an IRA. What have they just done? They've taken a big chunk of money typically from a source that's absolutely protected and rolled it into something that's quite possibly protected. We advise people to leave the money in their 401k as long as possible and don't roll it over into an IRA if they can help it. Now this is just a diamond piece of advice. Sometimes you can't help rolling it over into an IRA account, but if you can keep it back in the old 401k or move it into a new 401k, it's going to be protected. If you must take it out, put it in an IRA account and keep that money separate. Keep that account separate. Because if you keep it separate and don't pollute it with other IRA monies, you can roll it back into a 401k later on if you have the ability to be a member of a 401k plan in the future. Don't commingle it because it will never then go back into a 401k plan. Tip number seven, act fast if you lose your job. We see people who have significant reserves. They lose their job or for some reason they're out of the job market for a period of time. And they sit back and enjoy life for a while, sometimes six months, a year, 18 months, two years. After that period of time, it's very, very difficult for them to get back into the swing of things. So if something happens to your job or something happens to your business, Take a couple of weeks off. Take a month. You got it coming. Relax. But then hit the pavement running so that you can get back into the swing of things. You don't want to get outside of the circle of employment. Tip number eight. Don't guarantee loans for others. Now maybe this sounds obvious, but sometimes we have to state the obvious. So many times kids come to their parents and ask them to guarantee a car loan. 
and then there's an accident and the people who are on the car loan are responsible everyone on title has some degree of responsibility sometimes the insurance is lapsed or sometimes the car just disappears and there's no insurance you know the car went bye-bye it got stolen it went to Baja who knows what happens in some of these situations but this creates a real problem for the parent not only in terms of liability but also in terms of liability on repayment of the loan so kids nieces nephews don't guarantee loans for any of these people because if you do and there's a problem later on down the line it could create a big financial problem for you a problem you don't need tip number nine always consider what if that is what if my income stream goes away what if my business dries up what if I don't have any more clients what if I become incapacitated you know anything what if I go berserk have some contingency plan in place just in case always consider what if now under this heading I always like to tell people about appropriate types of insurance and maybe here I'm talking about disability insurance more than anything else I hate paying my disability insurance in fact last time that the payment was due the insurance guy just happened to be around and he came over to pick up the check and I hand it to him and I said you know I feel like such a fool I'm never gonna need this I'm gonna go on forever and he says to me well a lot of widows tell me that their spouse had said that so you feel kind of foolish when you're setting it up but it's so important to have frankly a lot of us are producing 50 percent or more of our family's income stream why wouldn't we ensure that situation it just makes sense now tip number 10 and this is last but not least spend some time every day with some success literature now that sounds pretty funny coming from a bankruptcy lawyer doesn't it here we've talked about credit cards and we've talked about financial risk and spending patterns we've talked about retirement plans but the final thing that I want to leave you with is spend some time every day with some success literature now if I gave each of you a computer that was a hundred times more powerful than any Pentium kind of computer would you dial up the modem and leave it online so that anyone could get a hold of that line and just drop whatever information and junk they wanted into your expensive very powerful computer that I just gave you no you wouldn't you'd shut that line down but each of us already has that computer it's our brain our chemical computers chemical processors these brains are many times more powerful than anything we could ever buy in the store and yet we just sit there and leave the line open sit there and watch the television and listen to the radio we talk to people friends business associates and anything that they want to dump in our minds is going right there a lot of times this is negative information you can't do this you shouldn't do that you'll never get ahead a lot of times it's messages from advertisers buy this buy that all sorts of messages from other people and we're just letting them dump it into our brain all day long we don't do anything for ourselves to put something good in our brains every day and it takes maybe only 10 or 20 minutes a day just to spend some time putting some good things into your mind it doesn't matter where you get your success literature from 
a lot of people get that literature from their faith. Some people get it from people like Earl Nightingale or Zig Ziglar, even Tony Robbins has a lot of good things to say. But we need to put something good in our brains every day. We need to take a little bit of time every day to do something for us. Now this isn't a new concept, I can't take credit for it. Clearing our minds, putting something good in a little bit every day. Gee, that almost sounds like meditation. I mean, these are concepts that have been around for a long, long time, and yet we neglect them because we're so busy. The television's telling us to go out and buy stuff. So spend a little bit of time each day putting some good success information into that very valuable microprocessor, and I think that you'll see the benefits in the long term. Well, there you have it. 10 ways to protect yourself from financial calamity and to make yourself more prosperous in the long run. Now, some people might think that these are just simple or maybe even obvious, but like so many things in life, because we're so busy every day of our life, sometimes we miss the simple, sometimes we miss the obvious. And like so many things in our lives, sometimes the simple things are the most powerful things. We hope that you'll put some of these to work for you in your financial life and that you will be able to learn from our collective experience. Well, I hope that in the future when things are going well for you and you're prosperous and hopefully you've put some of these things to work for you in your financial life, you'll think back about the time that we spent together today covering these very issues. Thanks for listening and we wish you all the financial success in the future. Wow, that just blows me away. Such a glimpse into the past 25 years ago. A little bit different presentation, but uh, the basic message is still the same. What's different these days? Well, I mean, first of all, some of you are asking, who's Larry? Well, he was my business partner at the time. Um, Some of the stats are a little bit different. There's a lot more student loan debt now than there is credit card debt, and we've talked about that on the podcast here. The default rate on the credit cards is down a little bit. It wasn't quite as extreme, perhaps, as it was uh, back in the day. Um, The laws have evolved a little bit over the past 25 years. The protection for 401ks and IRA plans from creditors is a little different, but it's the same basic message. What are some takeaways? Well, it's interesting. Uh, One-third on housing, net. One-third of your net pay on housing. We've talked about that a little bit on the podcast, but I spent some time in this presentation talking about it. Uh, One-fourth of your take-home pay on transportation. Um, We've talked about that, too, and I think we can spend some more time on that. Um, What else? Since that uh, podcast, there have been two big economic downturns, the the dot-com bubble and the, the Great Recession. Is one coming up? I don't know, but uh, keep your eyes and ears open. I'm certainly not as big a fan of, of credit cards that I was then. I'm not saying that I was a fan back then, but we're a little more down on those these days. I've really taken to heart the fact that people tend to spend 18% less when they use cash as opposed to a credit card. I think that's a powerful statistic. Um, something I hadn't really thought about in quite a number of years was tip number 10, talking about spending some time every day with some success literature. Hmm. You know, we, we recently talked about uh, meditation, and that's similar, but not really the same. And 
Remember we talked about the five-hour rule with uh, Benjamin Franklin? It's similar, but not the same. But spending some time every day with success literature is something I haven't thought about. And thinking about it a little bit more the last couple days, I think we're going to discuss that in a future uh, podcast. So stay tuned. Well, all of this just because I found an old uh, CD in a cabinet that I was cleaning out, but I thought everyone would be uh, interested and amused <laughs> and uh, uh, find some uh, important information, some helpful information in that old CD. Well, that's another episode of the Financial Wellness Podcast. Thank you, Brian Reed, for being here. Everybody tune in next week. We've got some interesting things that we're working on. This is Dave Hagen. And you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.